Welcome to Become a Calm Mama. I am Darlene Childress. I am your host, and I am going to talk today about sleep, <laughs> about bedtime and sleep, particularly. I'm going to give you some sleep strategies for ages two to nine. Now, before I get too deep into this topic, I would like to say that sleep is really complicated and it's very personal. It's a little bit like eating in that we all have different expectations of our kids and we're, we all have different things that we're comfortable with. Some for sleep, for example, some people have a family bed, some let their kids sleep with them you know, for a long period of time. Some parents lay down with their children until they fall asleep. Some don't. So I'm not going to really tell you exactly what's like, what to do in terms of, you know, whether you should have your kids sleep with you or not sleep with you or, or whether you should lay down with them or not lay down with them. Instead, I want to talk to you a little bit more about what's normal, what you can expect, and then give you some strategies to manage the sleep disruptions that are normal and occur ages two to five and then five to nine. The big picture goal when it comes to sleep is this. You want to be teaching your children the skills that they need in order to fall asleep on their own and stay asleep. That is a lot around self-regulation and self-soothing because Falling asleep and staying asleep requires a lot of emotional regulation. It's dark at night. It's scary. It's lonely. It's the end of all the fun things of play and and time with you. And so kids are going to resist sleep. But long term, big picture, our goal is to help them fall asleep on their own, stay asleep, and then put themselves back to sleep if they wake up. That's what we're working towards. So no matter how you do that, I want you to be thinking about the goal of sleep is that you are teaching your kids to sleep on their own. There is no timeline. There's no right or wrong. There's no trajectory that is the perfect parenting situation. It's really parenting the kid in front of you, seeing if they have a gap in their sleep need or their self-soothing need, and then helping them build those skills so that they can fall asleep on their own and stay asleep. If you're starting to do this sleep work and you have a few years of bad habits, or I don't want to say bad habits, or just habits where you really soothe your child um, and help them fall asleep, or when they woke up, you re-soothe them, I don't want you to ju- judge yourself about it. It's normal (laughs) because when you have a baby, they don't know how to do this work. Their sleep is so irregular and they don't know how to soothe and they don't know how to fall asleep on their own. And so you, you, you know, teach them to fall asleep with, with milk, you know, with a bottle or with nursing, you teach them to fall asleep with a pacifier, you rock them to sleep. You are doing all these things as a parent in order to help your child fall asleep, which is great. But at some point, just like in every other parenting skill, you transition from you doing it to you doing it together to them doing it on their own. Now, wherever you are in that sleep journey, if you're starting with a nine-year-old, that's fine. Don't, just don't spend any time judging yourself because however you parented in the past worked, you chose that because you needed to, because it worked, because it helped you. 
And now maybe you're seeing that it's not helping you or helping your child anymore and you want to change. Great. Let's just move forward. Okay. So what are the issues in nighttime? One is not wanting you to leave, right? Because they want you to stay with them while they fall asleep. They also get out of the bed. I call that jack in the box. So we see this a lot with two, three, four-year-olds. It could be five, six even. But really that preschool age, once they kind of recognize that they can get out of that big bed, that they are like, oh my God, I can get out of this big bed. And then they, you know, jack in the box up. Other things that drive parents crazy at night are calling out for water or calling out because they have to go to the bathroom or calling out because something is scary. And you might feel really annoyed by that, but recognize that it's, it's annoying, but at least they're not getting up, right? They're calling out. So you kind of have a good situation there, even though it's annoying. All of these things I want you to know, we can train our children. I don't mean train like a dog train. I mean, just teach them skills to manage these desires and these fears and these feelings. Some kids just take a long time to fall asleep. That's just their night owls or they're not getting enough exercise earlier in the day, enough big body movement. They're on their tablet a lot or something like that. They might not have the night might not be physically tired. Some kids, they don't stay asleep or they night wake a lot. That can be irritating because they wake up and they don't know how to soothe themselves back to sleep and then they're waking you up. One other issue that comes up a lot in ages two to five is being afraid of monsters. So I'm going to talk about monsters in a few minutes. And just a note on dreams with this age group is that they they don't really remember their dreams um, ages two to five. And... Their, their imaginations are so active at that age that they're not really even aware that they're dreaming because half the time when they're awake, they're also dreaming because they have an active imagination. So sometimes their dreams might wake them up, but they won't know why. And you might say, did you have a bad dream? Um, if you're saying that to ages two to five, they really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so they might be like, yes, I had a bad dream. Now that's, they're just re- mimicking what you offered to them to explain why they're awake. And, and most of the time they have no idea what you're even saying because they don't know what a dream is. So why do these things happen? What are the issues? What are the reasons that these things happen? One, when they don't want you to leave or, you know, they keep getting out of bed and they're resisting bedtime is because it's just not great. When you're a little kid going to bed, means the end of everything that is good. (laughs) So it's the end of play, right? You're not playing when you're sleeping. It's the end of time with parents because you're in a room by yourself or you're, you're falling asleep before your parents and they are not with you. So that's a sad thing, right? You're not with your parents. So it's the end of play. It's the end of parents and it's the end of daylight. Like it's dark and that's the end of safety. So it's the end of fun, it's the end of connection, and it's the end of safety. Those are not, that's not a great circumstance. The other reason why bedtime is hard is sometimes they are overtired, right? I said some kids are undertired and they have trouble falling asleep. Some kids are overtired, they're overstimulated, um, or they've been on, on devices, you know, tablet time up until it's bedtime. And so their mind is still really in an activated state or they're overactivated. They're overtired and they're exhausted. And that could be really hard to settle the nervous system. The reason why is because if you are 
in a sleepy state and then you're forced to stay awake for whatever reason, then your brain says, "Uh uh-oh, we better stay alert. We better pump cortisol. We better pump adrenaline because we obviously need to be protecting ourselves because we're not able to fall asleep right now when we want to. That means something's going on that we need to stay alert for. So if you miss your kid's window, you've all seen this, then it can be hard for them to fall asleep. Or if they're just overexhausted, it's really they're full of cortisol. So I'm going to give you some strategies of what to do with that. So all of those issues, not wanting you to leave, jack in the box, calling out, taking a long time to fall asleep, night waking, being afraid of monsters. These are all really typical of ages two to five. And, but when they get to ages five to seven, five, you know, eight, nine, some new factors start coming into play. And so you may think like, oh, we are good. Bedtime is great. You have a four-year-old, they fall asleep, they stay asleep for 11 hours. You're like, woo, we did it. Yay. And then you have a five, six, seven-year-old and you're like, wait, why are they waking in the night? What is happening? And that is because dreams start showing up from ages five to seven. So it's kind of interesting because the the dream state, it starts to formalize and, and become more like what we think of as dreaming between ages five and seven. And a child is able to remember their dreams and recognize them as dreams. There's a story, there's a little bit of a plot, there's certain characters they can recognize. So they wake up and they can remember their dream. So that means that they might have nightmares and though those might happen. And then the next day they might be afraid that they might have a nightmare. So that we see ages five to seven. So it's like a newer issue that shows up in early childhood. The other thing that happens around ages five to six is that your child, like school agers, they can fully grasp the fact that there are things in the world that can hurt them and that their parents can't always protect them, right? So they go to formalized school, they maybe have sports and enrichment classes, and they start to recognize like, oh, I'm not always with my parents, and the world is like, there's scary things in the world. Like you can get hurt, you can get hurt by a car, you can get hurt by a robber, you can get hurt by, like, they just become more aware of, of the world, and then, they feel more vulnerable and more afraid. And when you're asleep and they're asleep, that means who's awake, who's watching them. So as their brain starts to understand the world, they realize that when they're asleep, that not everyone in the world is asleep. Like things happen at night and robbers and you know fires and like something bad could happen. So they have this awareness and then they feel afraid. So they feel vulnerable or scared. So that is really an issue around age five, six, seven, like I said. Lower than that, under six, they really don't have any uh, awareness of the world outside of themselves. They're just so focused on their own experience and their own, um, their own like timeline and their own like they just like almost like horse blinders. Like they can only have their own experience. They have no idea that like things happen outside of their experience. They're just little. But then slowly they're like, oh, there's a whole world out here and maybe I'm not safe. So that's where fears start to come in. That's where nightmares start to come in. 
And at that age, they need to be reassured. So now you understand why, why these issues show up, what the issues are. And so now I want to give you some general strategies of how to handle sleep and sleep issues. So the first thing I love to always say is just acknowledging the circumstance. Like, val- like validating, acknowledging that, yes, ba- bedtime is hard. Falling asleep on your own is hard. Learning to fall asleep is difficult. Being separated from your parents at night is hard. We often want to like, as parents, we want to, you know, skip over the reality that our children are experiencing and tell them that it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal that, that you're asleep and I'm awake because I'm right in the room next to you. Or, you know, you're going to fall asleep and you're going to wake up and nothing, you're not even going to remember that you fell asleep. Like we kind of try to silver line it a little bit, which isn't a bad thing, but you want to make sure that you're acknowledging the actual reality. Yeah, the truth is your kids go to bed in a dark room alone by themselves or with their sibling and there's no grown up around and that they don't get to play and that they don't get to get up and they don't get to play with you and they don't get to be held by you and they don't get to touch you and it is dark. Like that's true. And that's kind of sucky if you're seven or four, right? So you can say, yeah, that's hard. You can do that in any circumstance in their life. You can just be like, yes, school is difficult. Yes, your teacher yells at you. Yes, wearing seatbelts are uncomfortable. Yes, not getting three cookies is sad. So we're going to narrate the circumstance. We're going to talk about what is going on and we're going to be able to say yes, right? So you can say things like, it's not easy to go to sleep by yourself. Or you love having mommy lie down with you when you fall asleep. You love that. And then mommy leaves and you feel sad. Right? It's hard to resist waking mommy up when you wake up. Is that right? It's hard. You want to wake up mommy because you miss her. Yeah. So parents will often think like, I don't want to say what's happening and and acknowledge that it's hard because then don't I have to fix it? Nope. You do not have to change a circumstance just because you acknowledge that the circumstance sucks. But acknowledging that the circumstance sucks helps the other person feel seen and understood. This is true in all circumstances in life. I don't have to always have a solution just because I name something is, is kind of sucky. So you can acknowledge something without feeling the need to fix it. So we want to acknowledge the circumstance And then validate the feelings that your child is having around that circumstance. So saying, you know, it's not easy to go go to sleep by yourself. You feel sad when mommy leaves the room. It's hard to resist waking mommy up, right? You, You feel a little lonely. You want company. It's okay to feel lonely. Yeah, you're worried about monsters. It's okay. It's okay to feel scared. We all feel scared. Ah, it's okay to feel lonely. So we're stopping and saying, yes, there's a circumstance. And yes, you're entitled to the emotions you have around it. This is the crux of all the work that I'm teaching you all the time is that you are going to acknowledge 
that things are hard and that your children can feel whatever they feel about those things and they can handle it. Like you're going to still set limits. So in, you know, we're recognizing the circumstance, we're validating the emotions, and then we're going to offer some solutions. So it's like your feelings make sense, but what are you going to do about it? Because you have to stay in your bed. Or what can you do to help yourself feel safe? What can you do to help yourself feel less scared? What can you do? Do you see how empowering that messaging is for your kids? Where you're saying, yes, it is true that this is hard. Yes, it is true that you feel scared. And yes, it is true that you can handle it. I believe that you can figure this out. So you can ask your kid, what can you, what do you think you can do when you are scared and sad? And I'm going to give you a bunch of ideas in a minute. Like I'm going to tell you the parents and then you can offer these to your children. And then you want to give a limit about what is allowed. And I'm not going to go into like a bunch of limits here. I was writing them out. In general, you want to communicate to your child what the rule is and what the conditions are like what they can do and within the rule. So it's like, I'm going to lay with you for three minutes and then I'll come back and check on you in five minutes as long as you don't call out for me. Or I'm going to come check on you in five minutes as long as you don't come out of your bed. So if your child comes out of their bed and you've said, I'll come check on you as long as you don't come out. And they come out. You're going to have to say, oh, looks like you're out. I'm not going to check on you now. I'll, the timer starts over. You go lay down and I'll come check on you in five minutes. So in that moment, you're not coming up and going into their room and saying, I told you to lay in bed and you can't get out and don't check in the box and this isn't okay. You're not coming in with a lecture. You're not coming in hot. You're coming in cool. So you can say, I've made a little bed in my room for you. you can, you're welcome to come in my room at night as long as you don't wake me. I actually think that this is a really good strategy for the most part when parents need sleep and their kids keep waking up in the night is to set up a little bed in the room that is, you know, like a, you know, a couple of pillows or a, mat, a, a blanket wrapped up a couple of times so it's somewhat soft. It doesn't need to be like, you know, a four, five-star hotel in your bedroom. You just are saying, you can come lay on the floor in my room if that helps you. Just don't wake me up. So you're communicating to your child, I am here for you, but I'm not going to solve all of these problems. Another one is when you wake up in the night, you're welcome to turn on the light as you don't, as long as you don't wake up mommy. This only works if they have their own room, right? <laughs> you don't want them to be in a room with their little sibling and then they turn on the lights like, Wah! everyone wakes up. But if they're in their room at night and they wake up and they turn on the light, what harm is there, right? Like You're welcome to sleep anywhere in your room as long as you don't come out. Okay, so they sleep on the floor. So they sleep in their pile of stuffed animals. What difference does it make? The goal is that they learn strategies to sleep. Yeah? Sleep in their bed, stay in their bed, stay in their room. Fall asleep on their own. Sleep through the night. When they wake up, be able to soothe themselves back to sleep. These are our goals. So going back through, we acknowledge the circumstance. 
recognizing that it's hard. We validate their emotions about it. We offer some solutions. We ask them if they have any solutions and then we can offer some. And then we set a limit about what they can do and the conditions or what you're willing to do and under what conditions. Now, ages five to seven, remember I said that they have a lot of fears around safety because they're realizing like the world is dangerous or whatever. So you can reassure that, that you, you need to be reassuring them that they are safe. So you say, yes, bedtime is hard and it is a little bit strange because it's dark and, you know, we're in our house and other people, you, you're not sure if you're safe. Yeah, it makes sense that you would feel a little bit scared. But I want you to know that at night we lock the doors in our house or at night that's why we have dogs and that's why they sleep in the front room because they will bark if there's a robber. Well, that's why we have alarms. That's why we have motion cameras. That's why we have smoke detectors to make sure that there, if there's a fire that the smoke alarm goes off. We take for granted that we do these things to ensure our safety. And it's important to tell our children that we have things in place to keep them safe. So that's really important to reassure your child that, you know, you've thought about these things and that there are things in place to make sure that your whole family stays safe. And you can even say, it's my job to make sure you're safe. That's my job as a mom. That's my job as a dad. And I've, I've done a lot of work to make sure that this house stays safe at night. So you can trust me. And you can also, if you leave your door open, like that's why we leave our door open or, you know, whatever it is that you have in place to make sure you are actually safe in your house, tell your child. That will help them. The other thing that ages five, six, and seven really need to hear is that their dreams aren't real. This might seem like odd. Like you might be like, don't they know that? Nope. Remember, they just found out about dreams at five. Prior to that, those dreams did not exist for them. So yeah, when they're little, like ages two to five, they don't really know the difference between real and make-believe and everything kind of feels real to them, whether it's made up or not. And when they get a little older, they do know the difference between real and imaginary, but they don't know that about their dreams. So it might seem odd, but they do need to be told dreams are not real. They don't mean anything. They're just our brain telling a story at night to help us process our big feelings from the day. Explaining that is really, really good. Now, I promised that I would tell you a bunch of things to try that can help your child self-soothe and help them fall back asleep. So the first is a standard nightlight. There are some people out there who think kids should not have nightlights because it creates artificial light in their room and might interact with their, you know, might interrupt their sleep. I am a nightlight fan. I just am. I think it helps children feel safe. And I think sleep is more important than the quality of sleep. Like if I can get my kid to fall asleep, it is better than not falling asleep. So doing some strategies to help your children fall asleep and stay asleep is really good. So I love a nightlight. Um, We've had different ones, like little lamps that are like four watts or eight watts. We've had the wall kind. Just find one that works, that's easy for you to turn on um, and that you have in your house. I'm also a big fan of noise machines. 
So our kids always had noise machines. They both still, one uses a fan. We use a air purifier in our room. There's something about the, the sound that soothes the brain. It must take part of the brain offline so that it can relax a little bit. Uh, so I, I love a noise machine. You know, when, when babies are born, the heartbeat one is really helpful. But then as they get older, just having kind of white noise is good. If you want to do like the river and the creek and like all that, great. I just can't stand the birds sound. So we never did that. We always use rain or ceiling fan, you know, those kinds of um, sounds. A lovey obviously is very helpful if they have a special blanket or a special stuffed animal. And, you know, parents will think, oh, I should make sure I should get rid of their lovey and no, don't like you can let them have their lovey till they stop wanting it. 10, 11, 12, like both of my kids had their lovey until 10. They didn't always need it, but they liked having it. It was on their bed every day and they, you know, they made sure it was on their bed, you know, cause they're little, even if they're nine, they're still little and they will grow out of it. And, um, and then you can just keep it as a keepsake. Other things that are helpful, especially if kids are feeling sad and they are scared because you're not in the room, is leaving something that belongs to you with them. So it can be a, you know, like a special stuffed animal that you say, this lives on my bed, but I'm happy to let you sleep with it. And then in the morning you take it back. It could be, um, you know, a special like your hair tie. It, uh, it could be like an old t-shirt Anything that belongs to you can help your child feel connected to you in night in the nighttime. Also, a photo of you and them together, especially if you have a little nightlight, they can look at it, they can hold it, they can touch it, they can squeeze it, they can hug it. And you can even be silly. You can be like, oh, when you hug this, I feel it. And then have them hold it and then hug it. And then you go, oh, I felt that. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then they stop hugging and they hug it again and then they hug you they hug it again and you're like oh oh i feel it oh yeah you're strong right but you're just kind of like pretending okay um if you have a dog or a cat it can be fun for them to have it sleep in their room if they don't have allergies or like if it if it works you know and then when you go to bed you take the dog out that can be kind you know kind of helpful for kids also having like a worry doll or a worry jar. So there's these, um, I have these like Guatemalan worry dolls and it's a little pouch and it has these tiny little dolls in it. And, you know, you can say to your child, okay, I know you're, you feel a little bit afraid. So we're going to give all our worries to the worry doll and then we're going to put them in the pouch and we'll put them under your pillow. And, um, at the end of the, in, you know, while you're sleeping, the worry dolls will worry for you. That can be really helpful for someone with a kid with a lot of fears. And the dolls are super cute. I have them in my hand right now, which I know you can't see because it's a podcast, but they're like tiny little hand, like little dolls. They're like the size of a half of a finger. And you can just kind of whisper like, I'm afraid of robbers. <laughs> and then they put the um, doll in the, in the pouch. I'm afraid of, you know, I'm afraid of dying or whatever their little fears are. So articulating that and putting, giving it a place to go is really good. 
you can also do it like a worry jar, like with beads or, you know, something like that. Uh, little little marbles and they put them in there in the jar and then they have you know you say okay all your worries are safe and they're sitting over here they can also draw pictures of what they're afraid of especially if they had a nightmare or you know after age five or six and you want to have them draw it you can draw a picture and then they can throw it away if they're really scared or you can hold on to it you can say oh i'm gonna hold on to this dream for you and you hold on to the paper the last one I was going to suggest is something I, I think of as mind travel. So it's not time travel, it's mind travel. So you lay down on the bed and you have them close their eyes and you ask them to travel in their imagination to the most beautiful and peaceful place they've ever seen. So if you've gone to like a lake or the mountains or a hike near your house or it could be a special fun memory like the community pool in the summer or following a ladybug in the backyard. Uh, some sort of positive memory, positive experience. And you ask them to imagine that in their mind and then picture themselves there. And they can you know, imagine what it smells like. What's the sun like? Is it warm? Is it cold? What are you wearing? What colors do you see? Who else is there? Really creating a visualization for your child. And then you can say to them, when you wake, if you wake up, you always can go to this place in your mind. That's mind travel. Isn't that sweet? Here's what, so this big list of what works. Um, you can always scroll back and listen to it again if you missed any of that. And then, of course, if you're on my podcast newsletter, then we'll make sure that we include this list in the um, on the show notes or in the newsletter. Okay, so here's what doesn't work. <laughs> what doesn't work is guilt trips. Like, you know, you're keeping mommy awake or you're every time you wake up, you wake up the baby and now the baby's not sleeping and now I'm not sleeping. And this is your fault that no one's getting sleep. And tomorrow we're going to be grumpy. And tomorrow I'm not going to be able to take care of you because I'm going to be so tired. And that all that, like trying to motivate your child to change their sleep habit because they feel bad for you is not an effective strategy. It's just not, it doesn't work. Because your child is struggling with falling asleep and staying asleep because they are missing a vital skill. It's not because they are a manipulative, mean person. They are a kid who is lacking a skill. So guilting them around it isn't going to work. Lecturing them, telling them how important sleep is and what happens if you don't sleep and what, what, are, what can happen if you... You know, if you don't sleep, then you don't do good in school. And if you don't do good in school, then your teacher's going to be mad at me. You And if your teacher's mad at you, then you might miss recess. And if you miss recess, then you won't be played with your friends. Like all that, parents, I know you do it. So trying to avoid the lecture around why sleep matters and like they, they're not listening, you know, they're just not. Empty threats, threats at night. Like if you don't go to sleep right now, you're not going to the Dodger game tomorrow or you're not going to your play date, or I'm canceling your whole day. Maybe you will as a consequence or as an impact or a result. Like if they do jack in the box and they're up for an hour and they don't get to sleep till nine or 9.30 and the next day they have a play date planned, you might say, oh honey, no, I, I'm, we're not doing that. You're not going because you were up an extra hour last night. So I've canceled that play date. 
That's an impact. It's a logical consequence of their behavior. It's not an empty threat that you threat at night in order to change their behavior because that's not going to teach them how to self-soothe. You're just in, you're just creating a different emotion. And then yelling obviously doesn't help either because it ac- activates stress. Guess what gets activated when your child gets stressed? Cortisol. Guess what cortisol cuts off? Sleep. So that's why you don't want to be yelling and activating your child's stress response at night because you're shooting yourself in the foot, as they say, whatever that means. But, you know, you're creating a a situation where your child is more stressed and then less likely to fall asleep. So staying calm is really important. So best practices, feelings are contagious. So if you're afraid, your child's going to feel afraid. Worried kids, they need calm parents. Stressed kids need calm parents. Overwhelmed kids need calm parents. So working on your own emotional regulation is going to be really helpful. Having a routine. Now, my routine for the most part was dinner, bath, and bed. I just went through the routine like all the time, but I didn't make bed make bath part of the routine all the time because sometimes there's not time for bath. And so we just wash hands and wash feet and brush our teeth. And that would be plenty. I always, I did have my kids wash their feet if they weren't um, taking a bath because we live in Southern California and they were always like in sandals and stuff. So it just grossed me out. But anyway, I digress. Uh, You don't have to have a bath every night. You really don't. But some people like it because it you know, it's a good thing to do for, for time reasons, like something, it's like an activity, but I never wanted my kids to associate that they had to take a bath in order to, you know, be calm and get ready for bed. Cause sometimes there's just not time. So the things that were non-negotiable for us were teeth, hands and feet, and then PJs. So it was like teeth, bath, PJs, stories, songs, and sleep. Keeping that routine the same, like the same order as frequently as you can is really good because it then puts the brain into, uh, oh, this is the cues that we're going to sleep. Now your children, they're going to resist bath time because they kind of know the cue that it, this is the cue to go to sleep. So recognize that like the cueing is good and it also might trigger a big feeling cycle, which is also fine. If a kid has a big crying fest, a lot of times they're tired enough to go to sleep. I don't mind a big feeling cycle at bed. You just don't want to activate too much cortisol. And so having that routine is really important. Then if your child has had a good sleep routine, falling asleep fine, staying asleep, and then you're in a period of time where they're up a lot or they're like resistant to going to sleep and it's new, I want you to know it's probably temporary. It's probably either a developmental leap because anytime the brain does a big developmental leap, it has trouble integrating and so it has trouble calming. So it has trouble falling asleep. So noticing if there's been any changes, like if you have a new baby, if you've moved their bedroom, if you've moved house, if you've gotten a divorce, if there's someone in your family died, if there's a change in their school, if it's a transition to a new school, if it's Anything like summer break, winter break, spring break, either that break is coming because teachers talk about it all the time or 
it's over and they're transitioning back to school, you might see sleep disruptions. If they have a new teacher, if they have trouble with some friends, putting your child in a narrative and looking for clues of what else could be going on when they're having sleep trouble is going to be helpful. And then, you know, uh, talking about it, just think, oh, I'm wondering if you have, you know, if you're thinking about your new teacher, I wonder if you're feeling sad that your old teacher moved or I've been thinking, you know, we have this new baby and mommy's really busy lately. And I wonder if you're feeling sad about the baby. So we're just going to narrate and name those emotions. The other two best practices is one, just checking in with what they've been watching. If you see a lot of sleep disruption or a lot of sleep fear, there might be a show or something that they've learned about that's scaring them. You just think through the exposure of the show and it could be benign. Like it could be like, Lego Ninjago or something like that. And it might be, it, they might be fine while they're watching it, but then you're like, oh wait, I wonder if it's the show that's causing this. If, if you have that instinct, trust it and just limit the exposure or don't allow that show for a while. And then ask them some questions about it. Oh, I've been thinking about Ninjago and I wonder like, what's the storyline? Oh, really? The you know, the master got mad and he like died or I don't know whatever happens in those shows. So you can let them narrate what they saw or heard. And that could also be something in the news. Like if there was a recent shooting at a school and maybe they heard about it or their friend's dog died and maybe they're worried about their dog dying. Just kind of thinking about like what else could be going on will help you give your kids language so that they don't have to process all of their thoughts and feelings through sleep or sleep resistance. Last best practice, honestly, this saved me, especially because I had two rambunctious boys uh, and in especially like the years two to nine is that my kids needed big body movement an hour before bed. I had, I had to get those wiggles out. So when the weather was good, we had a trampoline and we don't have it anymore, but we had a trampoline for years. And so the boys would go out and they would just jump on that trampoline either right before dinner or right after dinner, depending on the time of year. We also did pillow fights, dance parties, freeze tag, um, like going out in the front yard, doing scooter races, uh, swimming in the summer, just, you know, bouncing around. I had so many different activities that I would do inside or outside just to get those wiggles out because otherwise my kids were off the wall, right? They had a lot of energy. So having big body movement an hour before bed, it will really help. It can be um, tickling. I, I never tickled my kids. I didn't like being tickled as a kid, so I don't really tickle them. But, you know, we can do some sort of, of movement is really helpful. And then of course, you know, if your kid is doing tablet right up till bed, you're going to have trouble with bed. You just are. So I don't want to tell you what to do with screens, but it, there is a best practice there to not have tablet time an hour before bed or, or TV time an hour before bed. If you can, like, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Don't judge yourself. But if you're seeing sleep trouble, then maybe take a look at tablet use. Ooh, that was a long episode. I, um, you know, sleep is just complicated. So I hope, I hope you stuck, t- stuck to it. <laughs> Listen to the whole thing. 
Um, I, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you have, like, have any questions about this episode, you can message me on Instagram, just at Darlin Childress. Um, you can reply to, you know, to the, um, to the podcast email. If you're in my newsletter, just reply to that and just be like, I need to have more clarification. I might invite you to a call or tell you more about the Emotionally Healthy Kids class. And these are the kinds of things that like helping parents with in, when they work with me, either in the club or in the class. And um, yeah, so I love, I love talking and problem solving with you and finding out what's really going on. So you're welcome to reach out to me for that. And then in the meantime, this week, mamas, maybe take a look at your own sleep habits and see if there's any room for you to improve and take really good care of yourself. Go to bed early, uh, read books in bed, you know, do things like that. Move your body. Just take care of yourself so that you can lower your cortisol so that you can sleep better as well. All right. Thanks for listening. As always, I'm so grateful to be your coach and I hope you have a great week filled with lots and lots of sleep. All right. Talk to you later.